0: Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of E pluribus unum. Today we're going to talk about the weekly parsha. There is a lot in this week's parsha that I want to talk about, so we're just going to go briefly into a lot of different points. It's going to be sort of rapid fire. This week's parsha is Vaeshev, and this is the parsha where we learn about Joseph and his amazing technicolor dream coat, and his brothers selling him to the slave traders, and then Joseph ends up in Egypt, his master's wife hits on him, he does not respond as she wants, so he gets thrown in prison, he interprets the dream of Pharaoh's butler and baker, and all of those stories which you've probably heard, so that all happens in this week's Parsha. So, there's a lot to go into, I'm going to start sort of from the beginning, so Joseph gets this amazing technicolor dream coat from his father, Jacob which is just proof that children repeat the mistakes their parents made, or children just repeat what their parents did. As much as we try to say, I'm not going to be like my mother, we all end up being like our parents in a lot of ways. Maybe not in every way, but it happens. Remember, Jacob grew up with his father favoring his brother, asaph and Jacob's mother favored him. And remember how well that went? Remember Jacob took the blessing or got the blessing that Asa wanted and Asa wanted to kill Jacob. Remember favoritism didn't end up so well in that family, but then Jacob repeats that mistake and he makes it clear that Joseph is his favorite son. I am not yet a parent, so maybe as much as parents say they don't have favorites, maybe it is impossible not to have a favorite. The issue maybe isn't having a favorite. The issue is showing favoritism. Maybe... Jacob could have felt in his heart that Joseph was the favorite and all of this could have been avoided, but he showed it in a very big way. There's literally an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical about the favoritism and the coat that indicated the favoritism. So it's kind of a big deal. So have not, not yet being a parent, I don't really have advice or thoughts on how as a child not to repeat with our own children. What our parents did but i do know that sometimes when i talk i hear my mom coming out of my voice so i am aware of the fact that when i am a parent i will probably do and say a lot of the things my parents did and i only know that i'm lucky because my parents were wonderful and raised me so well that if i can repeat any of what they did that i think my kids will do well so that's one thought how we repeat what our parents did The second, of course, not to show favoritism. So, because of Jacob's favoritism of Joseph, Joseph's brothers hate him. Also, Joseph makes himself kind of hateable because he tattletales on his brothers and he shares these dreams with him, which indicate that he will one day rule over them. Spoiler, he does, but probably still not the best dreams to share with brothers who already don't really like you. So... Joseph brings a little bit of it on himself, but it says that his brothers could not speak a peaceful word to him or a kind word to him. And there are some commentaries that say at least they weren't liars. Like they hated him so much they couldn't say a peaceful word, but at least they didn't, they didn't lie and say nice things even though in their heart they hated him. So I suppose there's something to be said for that. But I think the bigger lesson we can learn is if we can't even say nice things to each other, because remember later they sell him to slave traders because they couldn't even say something nice. Does the idea of people not even being able to say something nice to another group of people ring any bells for anyone? Maybe when it comes to politics, maybe when it comes to certain races being called evil and bad simply for the color of their skin. I think there are a lot of parallels in the idea of not being able to even say something good, or something peaceful, or even just speaking peacefully. You don't even have to say something nice necessarily, but can we have peaceful discourse with each other? Increasingly, the answer seems no, and that's problematic. So maybe we should turn back to the text of the Torah and say, oh, When they couldn't speak peacefully together it led to bad things so maybe we can learn from that and start speaking nicely to each other i've mentioned it before and i will continue to mention it because it is absolute truth with a capital t all of the answers that we are looking for about how to live and lead proper lives it's in the torah we don't have to make it up it's right there so take a breath and relax you don't have to come up with all the answers they're there We just have to look for them and be willing to accept the advice. It's hard to take advice. It's hard to take wisdom, but this is thousands-year-old wisdom, and it's from God. So it should be a little bit easier to take than advice from your parents or your friends who sometimes make mistakes. So Joseph's brothers hate him. They can't even say something peaceful. They decide to do away with Joseph. They want to kill him. Judah recommends well, why don't we sell him into slavery? Then we can make something off of this deal. So they throw him into a pit and then these slave traders come by who they decide to sell him to. But the pit that they throw him into, the pasuk says, the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Habo raik reik v'ein mayim. Firstly, I have to mention this pasuk, that sentence, because the rabbi who was my teacher in fourth grade and through all middle school, this was his favorite pasuk is his favorite pasuk. And every year when we read this Parsha, I still think of him. So something from school definitely sunk in. So the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Um, Well, duh, because empty means nothing. So the first commentary is by indicating that it was a pit, but with no water. So desert animals that thrive without water, like snakes and scorpions, were in the pit. So that's commentary number one. And then Hasidic thought goes a little bit deeper and extrapolates that our minds are like pits and they're going to be filled. And if they're not going to be filled with water, life bringing and also the Torah is always compared to water. So if our minds are not filled with Torah and positive things, then they will be empty. But as we know, nature abhors a vacuum. And so if our minds are empty of good things, then it will be filled with bad things like snakes and scorpions. So, this is a reminder to study Torah. Also, a reminder to fill our heads with good things. I know a lot of people in the Jewish community who only listen to Jewish music or read only Jewish books because they want to fill their minds with good things and not the sort of stuff that popular music or maybe popular novels or popular TV shows are filled with. So, fill your head with good things, not bad things. So, Joseph is in this pit, which was empty, mostly empty of water, snakes and scorpions in it, not so great. He is sold as a slave to some traveling traders who bring him to Egypt. He ends up in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He repeatedly stalls her advances. She finally gets upset at being scorned, so she rips a piece of his clothing and presents it to her husband and says he tried to force himself on me and i only just got away look i grabbed some of his coat as he was trying to force himself on me potiphar throws joseph in jail and while he is in jail there are two other people there the paro the king of egypt's baker and his butler the baker and butler each share with joseph a dream that they need interpreted joseph interprets the baker's dream and it and says that your dream means you're going to be hanged in three days. Lo and behold, he is hanged in three days. And then the butler's dream, Joseph interprets to indicate that he is going to be welcomed back into Paro's house in three days. And by the way, when that happens, Joseph asks the butler to please remember him to Paro and get him out of prison. And lo and behold, Joseph's interpretation comes true. The butler is welcomed back to Paro's household, but the butler forgets Joseph, and that's where the Parsha ends. And just quickly, because we've talked about it so much, but it's just another indication or another example of human nature, and that is people don't really exemplify gratitude all the time. People forget those who've helped them. Joseph Joseph gave the butler hope, and he helped him return to Paro's house, and the butler didn't remember to say anything about Joseph Teparo and Joseph languages in prison. And really, would it have been so hard for the butler to mention something? I don't know exactly how royal households worked in Egypt thousands of years ago, so maybe it would have been difficult. But the Torah indicates that it wasn't just that he couldn't say something, but that he forgot. And that's just so typical of people to forget who helped us and to not be grateful, and even worse, to think that we do everything on our own and forget the people who helped us beforehand. The Torah is so great for us because it shows us human nature. Of the best people and of the worst people, it shows us this is how people operate, and if you're having hard days where you think you could do better, you're not alone because even the greatest people had hard days where they could have done better, and and this is what you're contending with. You're contending with human nature when you're living in this world, here's what you're up against, and here's some reminders. So the Torah is, especially in Genesis, as Dennis Prager points out, it's just, here's human nature, here's family dynamics, here's how people work, here's how nations work with each other. Now you know, now hopefully we can do better. I want to go back this interesting story takes place in the middle of the Parsha and then we jump back to the main story of Joseph and it's a very interesting story and it is the story of Judah and Tamar. So Judah is the fourth of Jacob's sons and the Parsha takes this little sidetrack to tell us about Judah and Tamar. So I'm going to briefly summarize the story. I'm reading it directly from Chabad.org just because they have it very concisely. Judah married the daughter of a local businessman and had three sons. His first son, Er, married a woman named Tamar, but died soon thereafter. Judah had his second son, Onan, marry Tamar and thus fulfilled the mitzvah of Yibum, but he too died childless. Brief sidetrack there is this law or custom in Judaism that if a man dies childless, his wife marries the next brother so that the I guess so that the bloodline can continue. She's not forced to, and there is a custom that sort of frees her from the obligation and also freed the man from the obligation if he doesn't want to marry her, but that was the custom back. It's still kind of a custom, but it was definitely the custom several thousand years ago. Anyway, so that's why she was married to the second son. Going back to the story. So he, the second son also died childless. Judah hesitated to give his third son to Tamar, not surprising, two dead sons. So she returned to her father's home. Judah's wife then died and Judah embarked on a business trip. Tamar dressed herself like a prostitute and sat by the side of the road. Judah didn't recognize her, was intimate with her, and she became pregnant. A few months later, when her pregnancy became evident, Judah ordered her executed for harlotry. Sidetrack, because he thought, okay, you were supposed to marry my son, but you didn't, but you shouldn't have married anyone else, so the fact that you're pregnant means that you were acting like a harlot. It sounds weird in our world that a father-in-law would be concerned about his ex-daughter-in-law in this way but just understand that this was written in a different time and in a different culture and accept the story for what it is so going back to the story so judah orders her executed for harlotry as she was being taken out to die she produced some of judah's personal effects that he had left behind when he was intimate with her judah admitted that he was the father and tamar was spared tamar then gave birth to twin sons and parents. quickly when tamar and judah were intimate with each other she wanted she asked him for some proof of who he was so he leaves his staff and his signet ring and that is what she pro- later produces to prove that he was the one who got her pregnant good marks for tamar kudos to tamar she produces those in secret. She doesn't make some grand declaration because her purpose was not to embarrass Judah. Her purpose was just to sort of shame him, but personally, because he wouldn't allow her to marry his third son because he thought there was something wrong with her when really there was, the problem was with his sons. So she felt like she was being dealt with unjustly So she took matters into her own hands, but she didn't make a public spectacle of it. And that's really an important lesson for us, that justice is important and Judah was treating her unfairly, but that didn't mean that Tamar should have acted disgracefully back to him. There are ways for us to fix problems without stooping to the level of our enemies and our opponents and not that judah was necessarily acting in a deceitful way but he was he was being unjust and tamar fixed the problem but she did it gracefully and i think that's a lesson we can all learn about being graceful but the interesting thing that i really wanted to point out is something that joseph telushkin points out in his book biblical literacy and the idea has really stuck with me so there's this interesting story about judah in the midst of everything else And I don't know why this particular story is necessary or why it has to happen here, but what Telushkin points out is that Judah is a perfect example of a character truly finding redemption and becoming a better person. Remember, Judah was the one who recommended selling Joseph into slavery. So he's sort of the ringleader of the whole gang trying to make something bad happen to Joseph. And then he acts disgracefully with his Daughter-in-law Tamar not allowing her to marry his third son. And then but then he's confronted with it, right? Tamar confronts him and says, You have not been dealing with me fairly. You should have allowed me to marry your third son. Look at what you're theoretically reducing me to, which is harlotry. And he owns up to it. And that change, that's a that's a real character change from selling your brother into slavery to owning up to a mistake. And from then on, we continue to see Judah step up when in a later Parsha, all of the brothers go down to Egypt because there's a famine and Joseph is in charge and they don't know who Joseph is. Joseph is trying to test the brothers and he wants them to leave his youngest brother, Binyamin, as a slave because he wants to see, have they grown up? Do they still treat their youngest brother in the way that they treated Joseph himself or have they reformed? And when Joseph threatens to keep Binyamin As a slave, Judah steps up and says, no, take me instead. So we can see that Judah has transformed. He's changed and become a better person. And first of all, it's an important lesson because because we all make mistakes. And few of us make mistakes as drastic as selling our brothers into slavery. So most of us, by that comparison, are actually doing pretty well. But a lot of us make mistakes a lot of us also make mistakes and do really stupid things when we're young. And the important thing is not necessarily the mistakes that we made or the sins that we did, but what's important is do we grow, do we learn, and do we become better people? There are probably some things that people do that are, that one can't be redeemed from, but if we're talking about The average person whose ills are not on the level of selling brothers into slavery, but are on the ills of maybe teasing people in high school, or cheating on tests, or even like petty theft when you're a teenager. There are a lot of things we do when we're young that are really stupid. But if we grow up, if we change, if we become kinder, that's that's the true measure of who we are. And that's the true measure of who Judah, not the mistakes he made, but that he became better. And the tradition is that the kingship flows from Judah and Tamar. So King David, King Solomon, God willing, very soon the Messiah, all come from Judah, which, well, Judah and Tamar specifically, which is also interesting because Judaism does not lie about its origins. Our kingship, our line of kings come from guy who made a mistake, and a woman pretending to be a harlot. And one of their descendants marries a convert, and that convert also is in the line of the king. So basically, Judaism is honest about its origins. It's not like in Egypt when they said the pharaoh was a god. No. Judaism comes from people. People who make mistakes, people who show favoritism to their children, people who sell their brothers into slavery, people who make all sorts of mistakes and do all sorts of things that aren't great. Because that's, cause we're human, and that's where people come from. But our people try to do better. I, I just think it says a lot about Judaism, that we didn't lie about our origins and make ourselves out to be perfect people. And when I say we didn't make ourselves out, I mean, the, 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 the commentators and, and God allowed it to be in the Torah, and Moshe copied it down. And it's been copied down because people could have, after Moshe wrote the words of God, Subsequent generations could have said, oh, we don't sound so good here. Let me fix this. Nope. In all of our, with all of our bruises and scratches and all together, we are not perfect. I think that's a really important lesson. We're not perfect. We have a lot of human nature that we have to battle against, but we can try to become better. Look, Judah and Tamar led to the line of kings. So I think that gives hope to the rest of us. So thank you so much for listening today. I know that was a lot of quick points, but... It was a very full Parsha. So everyone have a good weekend, a good Shabbos, and a happy Chanukah. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. I hope today's episode made you think or brought some clarity and positivity to your day. Subscribe to the show to always get the most recent episode directly to your device. Please leave a rating and a review and share the show with your family, friends, or anyone you think might benefit from a little Torah wisdom and conservative thoughts. For more of my thoughts and ideas I share from others, please follow me on Instagram at conservativejewishfemale or read my blog conservativejewishfemale.blogspot.com. The intro outro music is Chopin's Waterfall Etude. Have a great day!